Now today, we're gonna to talk about upgrading your AR with Jim Wiggins at Bowden Tactical. Now, a few months ago, I did a podcast of, are we losing our competitiveness in the United States? Because it seems like every time we turn around, things are being outsourced to another country. Jim proves to me that we still have it here in the country. Bowden Tactical makes their products right here in the US, in Ohio. And they do it to the point of, well, competing with overseas manufacturers. What's even cool about them is they can make custom products right here. They don't have to outsource it. They can help you through the design. They can work through it and then get the product in your hands. Now I'm gonna run this without any ads. But I do ask you that when you do your online shopping, please visit my affiliate links and banners at www.trb.fyi and click on those before you go shopping. A small percentage of your purchase will come back to the channel so I can continue to bring content. With the bills paid, let's talk to Jim. Jim. Tell me about your love of guns. So uh, I'm Jim Wiggins, and I work for Bowden Tactical. Uh, we are a manufacturer in Northeast Ohio. Um, I started out here 18 years ago, right back out here on the shop floor, running machines, and uh, went to school and uh, learned some engineering and learned some AutoCAD and learned some micro, uh, some uh, uh, solid modeling and some solid work stuff. And uh, next thing you know, I'm in the office designing parts, and uh, now today uh, we are an aerospace manufacturer as well as a gun parts manufacturer, and I manage the civilian gun parts side of the company that we make. It's funny that you went to school and you did the whole AutoCAD and SolidWorks and all that stuff, um, because I know just with 3D printing that you, it takes a certain perspective to understand a three-dimensional drawing on a two-dimensional screen. Um, yeah. I, I, know you, I, I get lost all the time. Uh, I just can't imagine doing it. And I know, um, I know engineers and um, you know, I watch them work on AutoCAD and I'm just like, I, I don't know how you guys stare at that stuff all day. Yeah, it, it's fun actually, uh, you know, taking an idea, someone's idea, and then creating a 3D image of it, you know, and, uh, Sometimes I've spent days working on uh, designing a product and, you know, it's, it's a, you, you design it and, oh, yeah, well, that didn't work. So you go back and, and, and delete this, delete that, delete this, start start over from here, start over from there. So, you know, but I've gotten pretty good at it. I, I, I can design up hand guards and different muzzle devices for customers now pretty quickly. So now for the people on the audio side, they're not going to be able to see but for the people on the video side, that is the actual shop floor behind you, correct? It is. Um, back here behind me is uh, out the window of the studio up here is our actual manufacturing floor. We have about 40 CNC mills and somewhere around 15 or 17 CNC lathes. And then the uh, ancillary equipment, the grinders, the saws, that kind of stuff that go with it all. So you got a good hundred bucks in equipment back there behind you. Yeah, 
Yeah, you could say that. <laughs> More like a hundred bucks an hour to operate it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so now you, you said before you, you have the aerospace side and you're on the civilian AR side, but what kind of products do you make out of those machines behind you? Um, so we have been involved. We've been in business uh, as a company since the fifties and um, that mix of work has changed over the years, um, obviously well before my time. Uh, you know, we were, we've been in the automotive industry, we've been in the medical industry. Uh, currently, we're heavy in um, oil and gas exploration uh, products for that industry. Um, we are heavy into the military side of the gun world as well, um, making parts for uh, some of the different uh, military contractors through the government. Uh, we make parts for the M240, the M249, the M60, the M2. So, uh, you know, and we've been involved in that for several decades. So, you know, Bowden Tactical, or Bowden Tactical, sorry, Bowden Tactical, I mean, these are not cheap Chinese parts coming in or Asia parts coming into the country. These are, these are the real deal, right? I mean, you're actually making parts for military. Correct. Uh, you know, all the stuff that we make, there are some products on our website that we don't make. Um, we don't make bulk carrier groups. We don't make barrels. Uh, we do buy them, but we source those from American companies as well. We are, uh, we, we are heavy into the making sure that we, uh, we keep the stuff here where it's supposed to be made. Yeah, everything uh, that everything that we advertise as our products, though, are made right here in our facility in Northeast Ohio. That's awesome because that's that's one of the things I like is, you know, I, I like to see products made here in the country, right? I mean, it's I want to I want to help support you know my fellow countrymen and women and and you know in small business in the United States, and it's great to see all that behind you. I mean, you know, when you jumped on, I looked at that, I was like, wow, that is, that's amazing. That's, that is not a small shop. I mean, you know, some of these, some of these manufacturers, they, you know, they crank some stuff out and it's like, okay, they might have a couple of CNC machines. You have a lot. <laughs> I mean, it, you're, you're geared up for manufacturing. Yeah. I, I think our latest machine coming in, we bought a couple of tongue ties. And uh, the, the, the M numbers on those are like 47 or 48, but we've had a couple that have left, you know, they've gotten old and they've had to leave and we don't repeat numbers. So when a, when a machine leaves, it number, its number get, gets retired. So we are in the probably low 40s. I'm, we're in the low 40s as far as CNC mills. Awesome. Now, on the Bowden Tactical, you make, you know, handguards. Um, and we make other things, but you make the primarily it's the handguards that we we're going to talk a little bit about. Now, you have the Cornerstone and Foundation series, and those two are really kind of for the consumer market. You know, you can go to a gun dealer, buy them, you can buy them off of your website. Would you mind talking a little bit of, of the difference between the Cornerstone and Foundation? Sure. Uh I have one of each here, as a matter of fact, so I can show you. Um, so the uh, the Cornerstone series is um, 
something that we designed after we actually did the foundation series. We had the foundation series. And, you know, you're going to see that uh, all the product names kind of have this uh, underlying tone of uh, a building, right? Cornerstone, foundation, uh, you know, the different names of the products, elevation, right? The, you know, when you're, you're looking at a blueprint, you have the foundation blueprint, you have the elevation blueprint, and, you know, you start building with a cornerstone. And we're playing off of that whole kind of building your own AR, Right. And the A architect is, you know, the guy that builds his own AR. So all this stuff kind of ties back to the uh, architecture. But we started the foundation series and then, uh, you know, we kept getting asked about, you know, well, you know, that's a nice handguard. But I'm getting these handguards uh, from that place over across the pond and I'm paying this amount for them. And I, I, it's hard for me to justify. And, you know, so we were like, all right, what can we do to compete with that market? So we developed the uh, Cornerstone series, and it is a, um, you know, there's not a lot of bells and whistles. It's not sexy like a, a lot of the uh, $200 handguards are, but it's obviously it's not a $200 handguard either. And, uh, you know, what we've done is we have extruded surfaces, we have machined surfaces. Now we machine the important stuff, the Picatinny, and then the clamping area barrel nut pocket and then you know to keep all the alignment straight anything that is critical to the function of it we machine but what we can get away with not machining we get away with not machining and then uh, that's able to keep the cost down to where it's a very entry-level product for either the consumer or the gun store or even the manufacturer of ARs who's looking to put out that inexpensive AR you know, maybe he has two or three platforms of AR and he wants an entry level, he wants a mid and he wants a high tier. You know, we, we kind of cover all the bases for him. You step up to the foundation series. Now, it's a little different in the looks. You know, it's got some more cuts in it. Uh, the entire outside of this thing is machined. There's no unmachined outside surfaces whatsoever. You have anti-rotation tabs and then you have steel on steel on steel fastening here so with the cornerstone series you fasten right into the aluminum okay and we give you three screws in case you strip one out you still have two but with the foundation series you have steel nuts and bolts so if you strip it out you just replace the nut and bolt and on the way you go again so there's a couple of little upgraded features on this uh slightly lighter because there's just a little bit more machining and a little bit of a different look, but still a very cost-effective handguard for the consumer, the OEM, or the rifle builder. Now, those two handguards you're, you're holding up, they're the competition series, right? Yes, the com we call it the competition series. Um, everybody has a kind of different name for it. Um, we call it competition cut because a lot of the guys that shoot competition, they like that C-clamp grip right where they can get their hand wrapped completely around the handguard and you're not cutting your you know you're not turning your fingers into a hamburger out on the range all day by gripping onto the picatinny so you're able to get that c-clamp grip like the competition shooters use and get your hands completely around it with this truncated picatinny and honestly you know nobody really uses this section of the picatinny much they might have yeah. a drop down or something but 
you know, this is the meat of it right here where you're going to want to put an iron sight and maybe you might have a drop down back here or something, but where you want to put your hand, you're really not using a lot of that Picatinny anyway. Yeah, because, I mean, you think just the mechanics of holding a rifle, um, you know, I'm going to, let me see if I can get in the screen. You know, you can see in competition where they're actually grabbing with their hand almost to the side of it and wrapping their thumb over the top to get the right. most amount of contact to control that muzzle. Right, and help, and help you keep the muzzle rise down. Because that, that was one of the things I saw that was kind of cool, because most of the 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 handguards that I see, they have the rail all the way down the spine. And, you know, you, you start putting rail covers and stuff like that on it to try to cover them up. Right. Yeah, just like just like that. Yeah, the, to get your hand over, you got to put like a rail cover. And then now, instead of holding something like this, it's now like this big. Right. And you kind of lose that mechanical advantage because now you got this big, bulky thing out there that you're trying to hold on to. Yep. So now, you know, those are obviously the consumer market, but you also do make things like you were talking about for like gun manufacturers and things like that. And that's the elevation and signature series that you have. Right. Um, would you mind talking a little bit about those? Sure. So again, we kind of worked in reverse on that. Um, we started out with the signature series where we were taking guys ideas and they would come uh, to us and say, Hey, I got an idea. I want, I build guns. Um, and I want my handguard to have this, and I want a QD mount here, and I want elevated this, and I want cuts here, and I want, you know, and they have a very specific vision of what it is that they want their gun to look like. Because when you're trying to uh, set your AR apart in a sea of, you know, manufacturers yeah. out there, you know, there's just a ton of small companies out there that are making ARs in just about every state in the U, you know, in our country. Um, you know, to set yourself apart, how do you do that? Well, you do that with the look of your rifle, right? Because a barrel's yeah. a barrel, you know, a lower's a lower for the most part, an upper's an upper. There's, you know, you can get some billets and do some fancier stuff there, but it's really difficult to set yourself apart when you're buying the same handguards from the same company as that guy over there, and your rifle looks just like his, but his rifle's $20 cheaper than your rifle. And the next thing you know, you're both driving for the basement to try to get sales. And, yeah. you know, so how do you set yourself apart and justify your higher price tag? Well, you do that with something like the, our signature series, okay, where a guy comes in and says, this is my vision. This is what I want. And we design it for him. And then uh, um, this does entail a small manufacturing fee or a, a design and engineering fee. Um, it's around $2,500. And with $2,500 engineering fee, you get full design consultation. That means you get to design it the way you want it. We'll create it in a 3D rendering for you, a 3D model. If you have the ability to sh uh, read 3D models, we'll ship you the 3D model and you can look at it that way if you don't have the ability to read 3D models. We can shoot you screenshots of it in all the different views, you know, however you want to see it. And then once we have a design that you like in the 3D world, we go into production on a first piece sample. 
and we put a piece in your hand, a finished product before you go into production to make sure that it's what you thought it was going to be and everything looks and operates and works the way that you want it to work on your gun. In fact, um, you know, this handguard right here is for Grendel Hunter. I don't know if you've heard of Grendel Hunter out of yep. Wisconsin. Um, he's a manufacturer of 6.5 Grendels. He, he works in the hunting platform. And uh, we make his handguards for him. He doesn't mind me letting the world know that. He lets the world know that. He's a little, a little extra advertising. <laughs> sure. And, uh, you know, we, we designed the handguard for him. And you'll see these cuts here in the top. Well, the ones in the bottom face the opposite way. But in his original platform, they all faced the same direction. And when you looked at the handguard directly like this, it looked really good. But when you started to turn it, everything kind of got weird. It, it looked weird. It started to get weird. And he was like, once he got it in his hand, he's like, man, I don't know if I like that on the bottom. I don't, you know, I said, let's yeah. turn the pockets around. We made him another sample, got it off to him. And we've been making these handguards for him now for a couple of years probably three or four years, honestly. And, uh, you know, he's grown quite a business off of being able to have his own look, his own signature look. And that's so, what it's really about. Cause I mean, you know, when you're, when you're a firearms manufacturer, like you were saying, you know, there's, there's ARs everywhere and there's AR manufacturers everywhere. I mean, this is not, you know, eighties and nineties. I mean, it's it's almost hard to it, you could almost throw a stone and hit an AR manufacturer anymore, yeah, right? And every AR, I mean, it's an AR, right? It's it, it's all the same. What do you do to set yourself aside? And that's what I like about that design. Um, he set himself. He this is him, right? This right. is me. This is my design. Um, I mean, he's got the slanted front end to it, and I mean, it all just it all just works so and with that um you know say we say down the road you know you are a true manufacturer right you manufacture certain parts but you don't necessarily manufacture handguards and you contract with us to manufacture handguards and we make handguards for you for a couple of years and a couple of years down the road you're you know your business is doing so well that you're able to buy some machinery and you want to start making your own handguards, right? Because, you know, that's the that's the dream, right? To be able to make everything yourself yep. and also puts more money in your pocket. Well, you bought and paid for this design. That's yours. And you can take that with you. And we'll be glad to ship you the models and the blueprints and everything else. If you want to take that and move it somewhere else or move it in-house, hey, it's yours. You bought and paid for it. You get to take it with you. So that's really where the consultation fee comes in. I mean, it's not only just the layout and your time sitting there designing it into a 3D model, but you, you're essentially buying the rights to your design. You are, you are buying the rights. It's your intellectual property. It, it came out of your brain, so it's your IP. You should be able to take it with you. And we know other companies that have been doing this or have done this, and you know the guys have come to us and said, well, I can't get handguards from them and they won't give me my blueprints. They won't give me my models. They, you know, they, uh, hey, you know, that's just not the way we're going to operate because you bought and paid for this. It came out of your brain. It's yours. Yeah, that's great. Cause I, you know, for me, I do, I've done consulting for, I've been in IT for 25 years now. And I remember I did a, it was a, is an engagement for 
well, uh, protecting a company against a lawsuit. And I had to design out the whole workflow of how this, this software worked uh, in order to defend it again in, in court. And uh, I remember showing the diagram. I go, this is how I understand how everything works. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly how it works. Boy, we wish we had this diagram. Like, well, you do now because <laughs> you you paid me. This is this is going to be in all of the stuff, you right. know, all the work papers for this engagement. So it, it's great that that to see that coming out of manufacturing as well is that, hey, you spent all this money, you've got a very unique design. It's yours, um, you know. So when you do want to bring that in house, and here you go. Um, so we the other thing, the on something else in the future. Yeah. Right. So the other thing that we won't do with that is um, somebody comes to us and says, "Hey, I like so and so's handguard. I want a handguard that looks just like that." No. Nope. You know, if, if you like that handguard and you want a handguard that looks just like that, you probably should go buy it from them because yeah, we don't want to be known as a copycat, right? We right. Don't, we, and, and ultimately, it's not us, right? We're, we're manufacturing it for you, and it's going to have your name on it. But we don't want that coming back to us in a roundabout fashion and saying, well, these guys copy somebody else's intellectual property. And right, so we, we did have a guy uh, a couple years ago that, you know, hey, I want a handguard that did this, 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 this. I want it like that. And I got done designing this thing up, and I'm like, man, I feel like I've seen that handguard somewhere before. That looks really familiar. And I started searching and, uh, you know, he, he had had me just about, well, you know, one-to-one -one design up a cross machine tool handguard. And I was like, yeah, we're not, we're not going to go down that road. Right. Yeah. I, I don't want to, I don't want to get into, into, uh, those kind of contests with anybody. So, you know, we're going to, we're going to make something that is yours unique and stay away from anybody else's designs as best we can. You know, there are only so many shapes and so many things you can do with yeah. a handguard but we're definitely going to try to not copy anybody directly. I mean, you are, you are physically limited to space. I mean, right. you know, your, your pick rail has to, can only be as high. Well, I mean, you could make it taller or shorter than the pick rail on, on the gun, but why would you? I mean, right. essentially that that's one plane across the top. You really going to stay that, that way because well, you want to be compatible with every other manufacturer of upper. So there's only so many things you can do there, but I mean, like cuttings yeah. and things, you can, right. you can change the design. Like you, yeah, know, lock, you have right, those, lock. you know, yeah. the only, you know, you've got very limited real estate to work with designing it your own way. And, uh, you know, like I said, we try to, we try to make it as, uh, a, as unique as possible, but there is only so much room and so much you can do. What's the craziest design that you've ever been asked to create for that, for a handgun? Um, we did, uh, for a company down, uh, Talon Tactical Operations down in Tallahassee, Florida, uh, it was a very skeletonized, the ribs between were like six, 16th of an inch. And excuse me, when it was all said and done, a 15 inch handguard came in at like a little over six ounces. And it was wow. still very structurally sound. Um, I was actually pretty surprised by how structurally sound it was, but, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a pretty crazy design and, you know, the, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you know anything about machining, but, um, you know, when it comes down to 
skeletonizing these things and making everything as thin and light as possible, you actually have to start to slow everything down because these things will start to scream and chatter in the machine and you'll get all yeah. kinds of vibrations in the cuts. And so, you know, you, you got to keep it rigid enough to make it machinable, but you know, everybody wants lightweight now, right? Everybody wants that lightweight, you know, the ounces is pounds and <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. Cause yeah, I, I think about the, the 308 that I built, and, you know, back then it was all for me on that rifle was all about weight and not going lighter, but going heavier with the rifle because I was trying to offset recoil and stuff like that. Right. But, you know, once you build that rifle and I'm sitting there looking at it going, this thing weighs just as much as my M1 Grand. That probably was the wrong way to go with that rifle. <laughs> you know, yeah. but the fortunate thing is, is I could change that. I mean, it's a free float tube. I can pull that off and get something else and put it on. And, you know, I can start changing the rifle the other direction. And, um, but yeah, it, it's funny. It's it, everybody's all about the, about how light we can get these things these days. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, even down to a, you know, a composite lower to, to save ounces there. Um, right it's it's crazy the things that can be done these days so you know and like i said we kind of worked backwards um you know we came up with the signature series and you know we had a bunch of companies that were starting to, to design their own handguards uh, and, and do their own thing and then you know we had a lot of guys coming to us and saying you know i, I really like that idea but you know i'm just a small guy twenty five hundred dollars is a lot of money to uh to put out and you know, the, the commitment on something like this is, you know, 50 pieces per length. And, you know, so I, I got to buy, you know, next thing you know, I'm into it for five or 10 grand. And is there some way I can get in cheaper? So we came up with the Elevation Series. And what the Elevation Series is, is we have a menu. And you can go into the menu and you got about 12 different options. You know, um, there you go. So... Right, you've got, uh, you fill in your information. Do you want flat top or the competition top? Do you want M-locks or key mods? Nobody buys, nobody buys, key. we got one customer that still buys key mods. <laughs> and then you start to look at the 45 degree angles, you know, do you want circles? Do you want slots? Do you want all M-locks? Do you want diamonds, trapezoids, whatever it might be? Do you want a couple of M-locks up front for your lights and lasers? QDS imports. Do you want none? Do you want front? Do you want rear? Do you want both? Uh, the cuts underneath the Picatinny, right? Uh, for venting your gas tube. Do you want slots? Do you want holes? Do you want it plain? Okay. And then you come down, you got uh, the holes in the top of the handguard to let heat out. You know, plain slots, squares, that holes. It's funny. I, I don't even, I don't even think about this. I mean, to me, I, it, it even dawned to me to put slots there. I mean, it, it's so funny. This almost looks like a ventilated rib shotgun yep. barrel at that point. Yeah, that and, does. It, it, and it makes sense, right? I mean, because that's what a ventilated rib is for, is to dissipate that heat for your, your sight picture. And I, I Until just now, that didn't even dawn on me to do that to um, to a rail. 
that's cool. And then you get into some of the mouth cuts, uh, you know, flat fish mouth, uh, the wave, the slant, the small slant. And then uh, the next the next option there is uh, the reten the uh, attachment system. So you have um, a standard, which is the nuts and bolts, like I showed you just a little bit ago. Um, right here, you have standard nuts and bolts. Okay, so a couple of years ago, we developed this retention system, we call it, and it's a patent. We do have a patent on that. Okay, and what happens here is that this key drops in from the outside, interfaces with two grooves in the barrel nut, and when this thing is clamped together, even if the screws come loose, the handguard cannot be pulled off of the gun. You have to physically remove the screws and drop the plate out before the handguard will come off of the gun. There we go. I gave you full screen there so that way people can see what you're talking about. Right. Yeah, you see, that's great. Um, I love that. Because that, I mean, all the, of the uh, rail, all of the, um, you know, the forearms that I've put together, it's, let's face it, it they're on the cheaper side and you you tend to have some problems with those. I, I love that. I love that whole, uh, that whole attachment system there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, especially when you get into some of the bigger, big bores, uh, 450 Bushmaster, the 458, 500 Beowulf, you know, those things put a whoomp on there and yep. uh, a dozen, 15 rounds in, all of a sudden you see your handguard starting to gap. You starting to creep forward. Well, this prevents that from happening. Because that's, yeah, it, it would, because you figure, um, I mean, that's just looking at the physics of it. Your, your, you know, your upper is moving. You have your, your, your arm forward. Just that little bit of vibration. Yeah, you could, you could separate those. I, I it's funny. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah, you start talking about like your, yeah, like your Beowulfs, your 450 SOCOMs. All those things, you know, it's so funny. We typically we think of an AR as either 223, 308, or nine millimeter, but people forget there's those larger calibers, uh, there's larger knockdown calibers that, right. yeah, that that the, changes the whole physics of the rifle. The uh, 450 Bushmaster and the 350 Legend have become extremely popular here in Ohio. Uh, they opened that up. They opened those uh, rifle calibers, pistol cartridge rifle calibers, up for us uh, five or six years ago for deer hunting. So now, you know, it's probably I bet eighty percent of the guys in the woods now carry a four fifty or a three fifty legend. Yeah, they get, they're getting that big thump when it hits. Yeah. So yeah, they're gonna they get that knockdown power. Right. Yeah, I, I have a three fifty legend, and that's my I. I love it. That's my favorite. Uh, I, I built it off of a Faxon barrel and an Iron City uh, receiver set, and then uh, some of our parts and uh, some Strike industry stuff. And without without the optics, I'm just a little over six pounds. So I was looking wow. for lightweight because I wanted something that I could carry around in the woods all day, and it wouldn't get heavy on me. Sure, sure. Now. Um... We've been talking about the handguards, but uh, you also have muzzle, you know, muzzle devices, right? 
muzzle yes. brakes, flash hiders, and uh, you know the flash redirect cans. Um, can you talk a little bit about those? I mean, what's the difference? Why would somebody choose one over another? Um, and I believe you do custom designs of those as well, don't you? We do. We do. So um, let me pull a couple out of here. And uh, uh, so uh, we took the traditional A2 style bird cage and uh, made it just a little bit different. You can see it's got. Yeah, you got the little cuts. You can, right. Yeah, you have the holes in there. And yeah, right. the little grooves. The slots are actually shallow. And then we've got four holes in each slot. So now instead of uh, what we got, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, instead of five slots, now you have 20 ports. You have 20 holes. And this thing does a really great job of busting up the flash and mitigating rise you know really happy with the way this thing turned out and the uh, black nitriding on it looks really cool and it's just a nice little flash suppressor just a little bit of a different style from your traditional a2 birdcage always trying to make yeah. stuff look just a little different just a little cooler but still keep it manufacturable so that we can keep the cost down right so that it's uh you know it's not a you know, it's not a $30 bird cage, right? And it's not a, it's not a $7 bird cage, but it's not a $30 bird cage either. It, it gives you enough to, to be different, but not like really hurt you bad in the wallet. Right. And uh, so then we have traditional uh, multi-port muzzle brakes, compensators, if you will. Okay. And uh, you know, Three different sizes, small, medium, and large, depending on, uh, you know, personal preference or taste. And, uh, you know, the muzzle brakes are designed to reduce that felt recoil in the shoulder. And then with the porting in the top here, they're also designed to help mitigate muzzle rise. And, uh, you know, we feel that our muzzle brakes do a great job of both of those. Um, you know, I've got a couple videos up on our uh, Instagram, on our Instagram and Facebook stuff there that you can see me shooting these. and. You know, they're very level shooting guns. And again, black nitrided, uh, unless a customer specifically wants uh, black oxide or mag phosphate, we black nitride everything just because I, I like I like the look of it. I, I think it's yeah. cleaner and cooler looking. Yeah, it, it is. It's just kind of one of those things that you just get a finish that just works for you. And yeah. you just, yeah, you just kind of stay stay with it. And then uh, the flash redirect cans, you know, and all of this stuff is available in uh, half 28, uh, 5H24, and the uh, half 36 thread patterns. Uh, a lot of the half 36 thread pattern is going away. Uh, they've switched it to half 28 on a lot of the nine millimeter stuff, but uh, these are flash redirect cans. You know, and the guys with the pistols absolutely love these things. You know, your little short pistols that uh, are loud and obnoxious and concussive, uh, especially for the guy next to you at the range. These things take all that sound and just funnel it down range. So I, I haven't, uh, I, I actually took a 16 inch, I put this on a 16 inch rifle and, you know, it, it's still just as loud as it is, 
but I'm able to shoot a 16 inch rifle and without hearing protection and not blow my ears out because it's funneling that sound away from me. Now, I don't recommend doing that and I don't recommend doing it for a, a, any extended amount of time, but I just wanted to see what it actually would do and Wait, what it yeah. sounded like. And it wasn't, uh, you know, you shoot six rounds out of a AR with a muzzle brake without hearing protection and you're gonna wish you hadn't done that. And with this, yeah. when I got done, it was like, okay, that wasn't horrible. Yeah, because that's like um, on, uh, on my 308, I have a I have a 16 inch barrel with a break at the end of that three 308. The the whole design of the gun was to be a sleeper. You didn't know it was a 308 until I squeezed the trigger or you were paying attention to the size of the mag. And um, yeah, when I bring that thing out, people in like bays, yeah, the next bay over, they come to see what I'm shooting. And uh, I had somebody come up and they're like, "What are you shooting?" I'm like, "308." I go, "I think it sounds like a 50." Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Well, yeah, well, it's a 16-inch barrel. You know, I got a lot of gas feeding that gas port. And, well, let's face it, the powder's not quite burned on a 308 in 16 inches. Uh, yeah. Right. And that's uh, kind of, you know, you get into those breaks, they're loud. I mean, yeah. even for me as a shooter on, on that rifle, even I get a headache after a little bit. It, right. And that's kind of would be really cool with those things is to send all that downrange because well nobody should nobody should be there <laughs> right. right i uh recently i uh my daughter was getting her uh concealed carry permit and i took her up to the local indoor range to do a little uh target practice and get her ready to do her qualification and we got a the guy assigned us a lane and we went up and i'm opening the box and I'm setting the pistol out and I'm setting the magazines out and I'm setting some ammo out. And next thing you know, I see this barrel come out alongside in the, in the bay next to me and this big tanker muzzle break on it. Oh. And the guy let one go, you know, and if I had hair, he would have blown my hair back, you know? And I was like, Whoa, I, and I, went, I went right over to the range guy. And uh, I'm like, you know, you, you got to give us another lane here. I, 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 I can't shoot next to this, let alone asking my daughter to, you know, try to deal yeah. with that. But, uh, Plus on you know, the indoor range. Yeah, especially at an indoor range, right? And it, it was rough. But, you know, he, he moved us and it wasn't a problem. But brakes, you know, they're great for mitigating uh, a recoil and rise, but they're loud. They're, yeah, they're, they're not they're, they're not friendly to the people around you. I mean, right. I, you know, there, there are classes that you can go to with your rifle. And if you have a brake on it, they'll make you take it off. Sure. Because, you know, you've got students next to you. You can't just go, you know, blowing them out with the, with the uh, you know, the concussion coming out of those things. Right. But, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, they're great. You know, they're, they're great for what they are. They're just not friendly to anybody else around you. Right. So that's our uh, flash hider uh, muzzle brake and flash redirect can. The, uh, we are working right now, and this is one of the first prototypes, and I've been, shooting it and making sure that uh, it's going to do what we want it to do. But uh, we're coming out with our uh, version of a linear compensator. That's cool because um, I've actually been thinking about, like for my wife's rifle, doing a linear comp on, on that um, just to help her out a little bit and then not be so obnoxious, <laughs> you right. know, to, to everybody around it. That's, that's cool that you're, you're, you're starting to play with linear comps. Yeah. 
So, you know, and, and the beautiful thing about this is it does the work of all three of these, right? Yeah. So it busts up the flash, it gives you some braking action, and it also directs that sound downrange. So it, it's, a, it's an all three in one type of unit. Now, are you making, are you going to make that in just the standard 223 and 308, or you're also going to do like a nine mil? Yeah, as yeah, we'll have, different, we'll have different caliber platforms for it, sure. That's cool. You know, and like you said earlier, um, you know, some of the customizing, uh, if you're, if you're an OEM or a manufacturer and you want a custom muzzle brake, you want a custom flash hider, you want a custom flash can, you know, we're happy to work with you and help design that stuff up for you and manufacture it for you. That's cool. Um, because, I mean, I guess there there's not a whole lot, I guess, you could do to customize it unless you had some wild design in your head. But you could, I guess, also put on, like, logos and things like that on some of these sure. of the, uh, uh, the comps. You know, and that's the other thing with this uh, Elevation series. I, I think it's the, the last item there that we missed on that uh, you know, as part of this, you can get your company logo engraved right in there. So just like with the signature series where, you know, Andy's put his signature logo on there with his deer head. Okay. You can get the same thing done with the elevation series. And, you know, it's a, a very affordable way for the mom and pop gun shop to get into customizing parts for the, the builds that they're putting on their shelves and to help brand their own product and get their name out into the marketplace. And that's kind of, you know, we've been talking about gun manufacturers. That kind of brings in a good, a, a, a good subject there is that if you have, if you're an FFL and you have your own gun shop, you could sell your own parts. I mean, you could, sure. you could get, you know, you can go into that elevation, I think was a 25 piece minimum right. um, on that. So you don't have to break the bank. You don't have the, the you know, the dance layout, but still you could, you could have some branded, you know, for, forearms for ARs and you can, you can sell your own parts at that point. And right. then, uh, you know, and if you're doing upgrades, you can, you know, sell your part, and then now your logo's on somebody else's rifle. Sure. You know, that, that guy or that gal comes in, and they've bought a, a Ruger AR-556 or a Smith & Wesson M&P, and they've got the plastic clamshells on it. And the first thing that everybody wants to do is they want to put a free-float handguard on it. So they bring yeah. it into the gun shop and say, hey, can you do this for me? Well, we sure can. We have handguards right here. You know, and they've got their... Uh, you know, uh, XYZ guns, uh, you know, whatever it is, they've got their logo and their name on it. And when it goes to the range and everybody, oh, that's cool. I like that. You know, oh, okay, that's, in the, where's that gun shop at? You know, it helps yeah. get the brand out there. Yeah, everybody, everybody now knows your logo on the side of, of people's guns. Yep. So, yeah, it's, so, so yeah, the, you know, you'll have a Smith & Wesson logo on the receiver, but right on the, the foregrip, it's your gun shop right there. Sure. And we can, like I said, you know, we can private label and brand muzzle brakes, anything, you know, obviously a, a lot of guys are like, yeah, you know, I just want a little, I don't want to, I don't want to make a walking billboard, you know, so sure. they'll maybe put a little logo here, a name there or whatever. They try not to over brand, but you want to make sure that everybody knows it's yours. 
yeah, you don't want it to be obnoxious, but at the same time, you still kind of want to, you know, if you have a really cool logo, why not use it? Right. Yep. You're building a brand and yeah. you're not selling a part. You're building a brand. Now you also make upper receivers, correct? We do. We do. We have a, uh, a billet upper that we make. I like that design. That's a nice design. Very clean. Very clean, but yet you get kind of like almost like the stealth look out of it with some of the angles on it, but it's not too radical, right? I mean, it's just taking a it's taking a classic design, modernizing it a little bit, and then it, it's it's nice. I I like that. So uh, you know, we've designed it so that the uh, this when you put it with one of our hand guards, you can see that the lines all right match up. I don't have a barrel nut on this one, so it, you know, but you can see we've designed it so that everything flows and it looks like it belongs together. And then one of the other things we did that I really like, because um, it can be kind of a pain in the butt if you don't have a bench block is instead of using a drift pin here, we use a threaded set screw. So you Oh, that's nice. So that's kind of, kind, of, kind of like in the 308ARs for the for the yeah. bolt release where it's yeah. threaded. Yeah, because that's always that's always been a pain on an AR build is doing that, right? Because you're you're trying to hold the forward assist in and then trying to yeah you always need like four hands to do right. that. Even, even with a bench block, it, can, it still can be kind of tricky because you're you're holding it in and holding your punch and trying to tap that thing in all at once. Now, the, the, the real Avid bench block, the square red and gray bench block that they make, they have a real nice bench block. And uh, if you, there's a spot in, there you go. There's a spot in there that you can lay this down and it actually holds that forward assist in for you. And then you don't need all those hands. But if you don't have one of those, yeah, you know, trying to hold the part, trying to hold a punch, trying to hold a hammer and keep it all lined up and not mess up your upper by sliding off of it can be a little tricky sometimes. Yeah, that's what that's when you learn really quick about not using a uh, your regular, you know, framing hammer or, or household hammer, putting that in. You want to make sure you have a brass, you know, brass at the hardest, putting right. that thing in. So yeah. that way, uh, yeah, when you slip, <laughs> you know, you're when you uh, when you slip, because because it's almost like putting in, you know, that that bolt release on the AR, having you, you do your first one, you learn really quick to start putting electrical tape on your on sure. your upper, because yep. you're gonna you're gonna hit it. I mean, it's you're just no way. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, funny that you brought this up because I just got that in, and um, it's an amazing tool. It is. It is. It almost does too much that you can't figure out how to use it. <laughs> yeah. So we started so, making uh, we started making the billet uppers uh, probably a year and a half ago, and uh, you know originally our our idea was to have obviously go to a forged upper because these are significantly more expensive than a forged upper, but uh, you know COVID had hit and the uh, the the. The unre civil unrest in the country had hit, and gun sales went through the roof. 
and it was kind of a perfect storm. And we called, I don't know how many different forging houses that forge uppers. And they're like, uh, yeah, you got at least a year's wait before we can get you forgings. And we had a couple of them that were just like, no, we're not taking any orders. We're, we're a year behind right now. We're not taking new orders. And the ones that would take orders were like, yeah, we'll see you in a year. And then in six months, they're like, uh, yeah, that's going to get pushed out three more months. And so we were just like, you know what? We're going to go with billet and uh, when the market settles back down, maybe we'll dive back in and then offer a forged upper as well. Um, we have not done that yet. The market has started to settle back down, but it's probably something we're going to look at here before too long is seeing if we can get some forgings and then offer not only a billet, but the forged upper as well. Now, for those who don't know, would you mind telling the difference between a forged and a billet upper? Or, or, or even a lower. I mean, it's the same. It's the same concept. Right. So a forged billet, uh, uh, forged versus billet. So the billet is. This is made out of a square chunk of aluminum that you know comes rolled from the factory. Uh, it's rolled into a. You know, this is what a. Uh, I believe it's a three by two and a half inch square. It comes in in bar stock. You know, we saw it down into eight inch lengths and. Uh, we manufacture these out of a solid square block of aluminum and lowers are the same way. You know, they're, they're manufactured out of a solid square block of aluminum. The forgings are, uh, they're pounded by a large hammer while the metal is uh, hot. They're pounded into the shape. Now there is cold forging as well. I shouldn't say they're not always hot, but there's cold forging as well, but they're pounded into shape in a mold by a large hammer. And then uh, a good portion of that lower or upper is as forged. Uh, when you when it comes in, maybe you got to you know drill a hole through it and cut a pocket in it and do a few things to it. Um, but you're not machining the entire thing, which is why a billet upper you know costs $150 and a forged upper costs $40 right? because. Yeah, the amount, the of, amount of work you got to put into it. it, right? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 almost like it's almost like having an eighty percent um, right. upper at that point, right? You're just you're just doing the the finishing work on to that forging, whereas right. yeah, that billet it's it would be a zero percent. It's one hundred percent machined. Every surface you can see, internal and external, is machined, and that's. That's a lot of work for a piece of machine to do. It is. It is. But so do you know about uh, how long it takes to make one? Um, you know, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Uh, I, I'm betting we're, you know, between the various operations, we're pushing an hour. Okay. Pushing an hour to make one of these. And then, you know, the cost of aluminum has just, whew, you don't even yeah. want to get started on that. Wow. <laughs> gone crazy gone crazy it's up 50 75 percent and we keep getting uh cost increases all the time we did just uh you know we we tried really hard to maintain our costing our pricing throughout the uh the covid and the civil unrest but you know it it just here in the last uh i think january one we had to institute a small price increase because and really just to cover the added cost of the material 
Well, I mean, your you know your materials are going to go up. Your labor is going to go up. I mean, everybody's labor is going up. I mean, it doesn't matter what industry you're in; it's going up. Um, so, I mean, you you eventually you have to cover those costs. Sure. I mean, that's just we hated. That's just it, the but... yeah. I mean, but on the other side is you're you're also making them here. I mean, you. You know, some companies are looking to cut costs. They're moving their manufacturing overseas to do it. You, you went as long as you could without raising rates, and you kept, you kept it, you kept that job here. You kept right. the product here. You kept the job here. You kept people behind you working, which, which says a lot about a company. So I'll let you in. Uh, so going back to Forge versus Billet, something I wanted to bring up. I'll tell you a little secret. Okay. Uh, the average guy says, oh, billet, you know, that's so much stronger, right? Because it's yeah. billet. It's got to be better. It's got to be it's stronger. And it's this, you know, it's not. Um, a forging is stronger than billet. And I'll explain to you why. So when this is rolled at the factory, the grain structure of the molecules of the metal are all going one direction. Everything is moving in one direction because they're they're stretching it, they're rolling it, and it, all the grain structure is moving in a parallel direction. When you take a piece of hot aluminum and you start pounding it into a shape, the grain structure follows the curves. So when you're your grain your uh, when you're pounding that and the metal is forming up into the curves, the the grain structure of the molecule is following the curves. And that actually makes it stronger. So yeah, because it would it, it. So it's almost like I hate to say it this way, but it's almost like a piece of plywood at that point. You have those grains going all the different directions. That way, the stress will spread out rather than right. going linear across, right, or if down a, depending on which way the grain is going. Just all a bunch of flat pieces of wood going. The grain was going one way. You could stand on it and it would bow significantly but because they take the grain structure on this piece and run it this way and the grain structure on the next piece and run it the other way and they overlap them like that just like they do with carbon fiber you know carbon yeah. fiber handguards the, the the grain structure overlaps 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 and that's what makes it so strong see that's amazing because you always see i mean if you go out into the you know the all the AR-15 boards and people are going back and forth and you always see this argument of billet versus, you know, um, versus forged. And that it's, it's amazing to hear it that way because everybody thinks billet is more expensive. So therefore it's got to be better, right? Because we're in that mindset, right? More expensive has to be better. Um, but it's, it's, it's great to hear you explain about that, that grain of, you know, the molecules there yeah. because it makes perfect sense at that point. I mean, um, I, I understand, I understand that better now than I ever have. This, this looks cooler and it has yeah. more machine time. And honestly, for the average guy, you know, it's going to make zero difference. The strength of this versus the forging for the average guy that, you know, isn't running a hundred thousand rounds through his gun. This is never going to fail. His forged upper is never going to fail. So it's, it's a, 
it's a look thing, right? It's a style thing at that point. And, and trust me, I you know when you held that 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 upper up, I'm sitting there going, I don't know, it, it was just me. I going, that's a design I could get behind because, you know, I, I, there there's classic people, right? I mean, they like the classic look of an AR going all the way back to when you know Eugene Stoner came out with it. I kind of like the the modern designs when people can let's let's face it have some fun with the stuff right? right you know and and i love and that's basically the best way i could say it, it kind of looks like a stealth um i don't even it's almost a, more like a stealth uh, boat than a jet right i mean you got all these nice angles on it and it just it just looks cool yeah no. Uh, yeah. So here's an, another one. Uh, this is our billet upper on a nine millimeter pistol. And you can see how, you know, in here the lines yeah. flow really nicely. Everything looks like it belongs. It belongs. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah, I just I, I like that design. I mean, even even the way you did the shell, um, you know, the shell ejection um, right off the back of the port there. I, I kind of like the way it, it looks. Yeah. All right, you're, make, you're, you're making my wallet hurt. I'm sitting there going shopping in my head right now. <laughs> so now up. Uh, you don't just make uppers and you don't make just make um you know the free float handguards what is a parametric trigger so that is our uh, uh single stage cartridge style drop in three and a half to four pound trigger uh, we do we have a flat and we also have the semi-curved bow and uh it's uh, parametric doesn't really mean anything. It's another one of those architecture terms that, you know, I, I Google, we were looking for a name for this thing and keeping with the uh, A architect building thing, you know, I was, I was Googling architecture terms and one of the words that came up was parametric. And I was like, okay, that cool. sounds pretty good. <laughs> parametric trigger. So it's a parametric trigger, but the word parametric doesn't mean that it does anything strange or goofy it's just a name that we came up with and uh you know it's a it's a real nice uh you know you can it's hard to reset in your hand it doesn't it's got a very short reset okay and then it's just a three and a half to four pound trigger that uh, is very affordable and very easy to install. Now, can you just use your regular trigger and, well, yeah, but since both pins are the same, but your trigger and hammer pins to put that into your AR? Yeah, the, the standard pins. And then right here, there's two little set screws and you jam those down against your uh, floor plate and you're locked in. Awesome. Yeah, you can install this thing in about five minutes with a couple of Allen wrenches and a little drift pin. 
And you said that's about a three and a half to four pound trigger pull on that? We set them at three and a half to four pounds. We have a, uh, a jig that we lock them into. And then there's an arm that comes down and sits on here. And we add weights to it until it breaks. And at three and a half pounds, it doesn't break. And then when we add that extra half a pound at four, it breaks. And we call it, you know, three and a half to four pound. It, it can be anywhere in that range. Yeah, but you're only talking about a difference of a couple of ounces. Most people would never even feel that in a trigger pull. Yeah, and uh, this this type of trigger, um, really what it's all about is the creep. You're taking the creep out, the, the, the take up in a, a mil spec trigger where you're going to pull, you know, an eighth of an inch, three sixteenths of an inch before you come up against and then it, you know, and you're, you're like, okay, here it comes, here it comes, and, and you're, you're you're creeping and you're flinching, and especially the new shooter, right? So yeah. this is just, uh, you know, you put enough pressure, and it breaks. It doesn't have any creep. Uh, it, it's just a nice crisp trigger that breaks at three and a half to four pounds, and you don't have that take up that's going to ruin your accuracy. So I mean, and that's funny because. Um... Yeah, I'm primarily a pistol shooter, and I always say I'm a pistol shooter wants to be a rifle shooter. Um, but I mean, that's when I'm looking at guns and I'm doing reviews on guns. That's what I'm, I'm working with that trigger. I'm feeling how much of that creep is, and you know, it, it, you get to that wall and then it breaks at the wall. And then, um, you know, I know on when I was an FFL, you know, I had ARs coming through that people were buying, and you could always tell some of the manufacturers when they start cutting corners because you would actually feel the machine marks. If you're going slow enough on those triggers, you could actually feel that machine marking on the trigger and the hammer as it's going. It's almost like sandpaper. Right. Um, and you sit there going, man, I would totally take a stone to this right now to clean this, but it's not my gun. <laughs> you know? So, all of the steel components on this are 100% wire EDM'd, and then the flat faces are all ground. And then the cage is 6061 hard coat anodized aluminum. And then the components are all black nitrided. That carburizing gives it that really hard. Uh, nitriding has a, a, a couple of microns that, you know, your, your Rockwell is up into the 90s. So it's uh, really that's, hard. That's hard. Yeah, really hard wear surface. Because so. yep. and you would want that there because so well that's the thing that's moving in the gut. You're definitely right. going to want that to be hard. Right. We uh, we've done endurance testing with these, and uh, we've gone twenty thousand plus rounds with no failures. Wow. Boy, who who paid that bill? For the ammo <laughs> well actually um it, it wasn't a true test of, of a live fire because we we made these jigs and we set it up in a cnc machine and so the it reset it for you it reset it and fired it reset it and fired it reset it and fired it reset it which, and fired. which is normal for manufacturing it's not, it's not like you know it's not like you know your car seat you know they know it's going to last so many years 
it's not because they've tested it for that many years because they're dropping bean bags on it up and down and right. and they're they're doing mechanical work to it to to see when the failure is going to be right but yeah that's that's cool that would have been a you know if you had filmed that and put that out on like your youtube channel or something that would have been really cool to see yeah, yeah like there, a, there, is a, there is a video floating around somewhere of that happening running through about three or four cycles of it resetting and firing there's a video out there somewhere that's cool so now everything you make you know we've talked about it before is made there in ohio correct so just a couple of uh little things here to show you real quick um some of the uh other stuff that the uh add-ons so we have vertical foregrips. Now, uh, a quick note on our vertical foregrip. If you look right at this, a lot of guys make these, a lot of companies make these, and they cut four grooves in here, all the same depth, all the same width, same spacing, and they call it a day, and it's a grip. Well, I went a step further when I was designing this, and I started measuring people's fingers and my fingers, and I measured the radiuses of my fingers. Because I, I can see that top one is wider than right. the other two. Right. And as they go down, they get smaller and they get closer together, just like your fingers do. So when you put your hand up here, your hand just falls right into these grooves. And it is one of the most ergonomic grips you're ever going to feel. And we have the four finger and then we also have the three finger. For the guys that like to just use their three fingers and then use that C-clamp grip, they can still use a vertical foregrip and get that C-clamp grip with these two fingers. That's cool because, you know, what's funny is, you know, I, I've seen this before. And then as soon as you pick that up, I, I, I was sitting there looking at it going, yeah, I can totally see that the top groove is wider than the others. Um, and it makes sense. But I, I never would have thought about that, you know, because, you know, it's like, okay, we're just going to put this, we're just going to put this on a, uh, on a machine, we're going to turn it out. And there we go. But I, it's really cool, because I'm, for me, I've been typing on keyboards for a long time. Uh, I mean, you know, ever since I was a kid, I was typing on keyboards on a, on a, on computers. And, you know, 25 years in IT, carpal tunnels, a thing. So, I mean, I had to change my whole pistol shooting around ergonomics. You know, I used to compete with Glocks, but Glocks is about as ergonomic as a two by four. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, you know, as much as I, I liked my Glocks, I, I moved over to SIGs for the ergonomics, but it's nice to see ergonomics. So, like even on my AR, which is all the way over there, I wouldn't grab, grab it now, but uh, I have an ergo grip for the pistol grip, but now seeing that for the foregrip, uh, I can totally see that because uh, I'm becoming uh, I'm becoming ergonomically aware. Right. And, uh, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying, because, you know, for me um, doing work on guns and things, my hands wear out fast. So I look for everything I can to to be ergonomic, especially in competition or just even recreation shooting, because I want to want to enjoy it. I don't want to be in pain. And I'm glad I'm glad that you looked at that. Right. And accuracy, right? Accuracy is a big thing. 
and consistent hand placement, cheek placement, where you, you know, the, the consistent placement of that gun in your shooting stance is going to make you more accurate. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. This is our uh, version of the angled foregrip, direct M-lock mount. And uh, yeah, that's we have the angled front with a sharp point on it so that when you come up against the barricade stop, it doesn't slide off. It wants to yeah. bite in. So you, if you use that as a barricade stop, if you're a competition shooter, then you, you've got some bite. And the, uh, the latest iteration, yeah, I've got one here. Uh, we actually, based on some feedback we got from our friends at WMD Guns in Stewart, Florida, they wanted a QD mount at the back of it. That's so, cool. You know, who doesn't love QD mounts everywhere, right? Yeah. So, now you've got, I would not have thought about putting a QD mount there, honestly. that That's... That's a good idea. You have a QD mount at the back of your, and it's still out of the way. It's back here behind where you grab this, right? So. Yeah, that would make total sense for the ergonomics of your sling, of your, well, your sling, your, uh, yeah, well, your sling, the way you would hold it. Um, that way you're not, you know, when you have your, your hand up front, you're not fighting that QD mount up, up front. Right. And we make uh, gas blocks, both standard and adjustable. This is our adjustable, simple set screw style with a lockdown on the side. Low now, profile gas block that'll fit just about any handguard out there. Now, do they? Do you make them for just the the two two three, or do you also do them for the three oh eight as well? We do. Uh, Right, we, these are 750, but we have made the um, 625s and the 936s. Awesome. And then uh, we also make something a new a new product for us just recently. We've started making all aluminum Picatinny sections, and this is the. Three lug, uh, we make a three lug, a seven lug, and an 11 lug. So they're basically one inch, two inch, and three inch is what they are. Nice. And these are direct, direct M-lock mount. Everything's M-lock because, like I said, nobody buys key mount anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> and we've got all kinds of new stuff that, uh, you know, we're working on. Um, we're working on trying to bring a iron sight to the market, an American-made iron sight that uh, doesn't, uh, you know, a, a lot of, and there's, don't get me wrong, you know, there are very high quality um, iron sights out there from a lot of different companies, but, you know, $150, $175, dollars for a set of iron sights is like, ooh, you know. Yeah, and, it's, it's that, painful. That hurts a little bit. That's a lot of, that's a lot of money for, you know, a little, but, you know, and like I said, don't get me wrong, they, they absolutely are good quality stuff. I've got some of them, and I use some of them, and they work very well. Um, we are trying to see if we can make a set of iron sights that we can bring to the market that's American-made in that less than $150 range. Uh, that's in development right now. Um, you know, these, uh, 
MP5 clone handguards are one of our newest additions to our handguard lineup. Gives you that MP5 look in an aluminum handguard. Yeah, that's that's cool. Oh, easily one of our best sellers right now. Um, yeah, because that, that totally changes the look of the rifle there. Yeah, right. You know, from from a distance, it looks like an MP5. And I love HK MP5s. I just can't afford one. <laughs> but <laughs> Not now I many one people can. Right. And then uh, the latest addition to that lineup is the MP5 SD, with that German paramilitary yep. look. Yeah, you get that. You get that all kitted out. This is my nine millimeter. It's a lot of fun. Just a fun gun to shoot. And uh, yeah, we. I mean, we're always working on and trying to innovate new stuff, trying to make our stuff better, and uh, always willing to work with an OEM that comes and says, "Hey, I, you know, I got an idea for a product." And uh, I, I want to bring it to market, and you know we we're we're willing to work with guys and uh, help them make their dreams come true. You see, and that's kind of cool. Is you know most most of the time to hear custom, you know people are thinking we're going to send this overseas to make, but that's the that's the cool thing is you're doing custom right here in the United States. On the machinery right behind you, which we we established earlier, is about a hundred dollars um, an hour to run, uh, right. and uh, that's that's really cool because you know I hate I hate seeing everything going overseas. I mean, I I did a whole podcast. Are we losing our edge because we can't innovate here anymore? Um, and you're right on the edge of that going. No, we're doing that. We're going to do that. We're going to do it here. If we can do it, we're going. To, if we can do it, we can do it affordable. We're going to do it, and we're going to we're going to crank out a quality U.S. made product that you can afford. That's our whole goal: is quality, American made, at a price that the average guy can afford to put on his gun. And I've got a, you know, I've always got a saying: if I don't want, if I wouldn't put it on my gun, I'm not going to sell it. I'm not going to put it out there in the marketplace. It's got to look good. It's got to be functional and it's got to be affordable because, you know, I, when it comes down to it, I'm an average guy and I like, you know, I, I like to keep a little money in my pocket. What? Well, who doesn't? Especially, especially since you got, you know, you built this really nice, nice rifle and then you, you got to be able to afford to feed it too. Right. Yeah. And uh, today's ammo prices, <laughs> it's getting better. It's getting better. Right. Uh, I, I, it I, is. It, it could get better. We're never going to see 13 cents around for nine millimeter again, I don't think. But no, no, it's, it's not. It, it's it, not a dollar that it was a year ago. No, um, it, it's funny. Well, I have this right here. Um, I was I was testing out a 30 round mag for a P320, and um, I, I was looking at that, going, "This is going to be awesome." Twelve dollars per mag to shoot it. <laughs> like, this is going to be one really expensive video to put out, just yeah. because. Well, I'm not going to shoot just one mag, you know. Right. right. You know, I'm doing a review on a on a product. I got I got to put some rounds through this thing, and I'm like, 
man, if if I had to do this over again, I don't know if I would have accepted that video. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, and like I said, a year ago, my goodness, it would have cost you thirty dollars. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that's the sad part about it is knowing that um, that's what it would have cost. I mean, if you think about it, even on reloading, if you can find primers, yeah. um, I mean, it's not going to be as cheap as why I think my reloading my nine millimeter. I think I had it down to about eight or nine cents around. But I mean, that's what I said. If you can find primers, um, right. it's just not. I mean. You know, I've got my my Dylan right there, and um, yeah, I caught, that thing sits because it's just it's just too expensive to feed to feed that. Um, yeah. But hey, look, it's it's the times we live in now, so uh, it's uh, yeah. it's really cool. It's, it, it, it's we we enjoy we enjoy going out and shooting, and that's now just the added cost to it on top of $5 a gallon gas to get to the range. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I love shooting. I love just going out and shooting. I, I'm a big hunter. I love going out hunting. Um, I've got a trip out to Wyoming next year for antelope going. And, uh, you know, so I, it's, it's been part of my lifestyle ever since I can remember, you know, my dad hunted, uh, was very into firearms. My grandpa hunted all my cousins, you know, growing up in Pennsylvania. It just was, it, it, be, it was a way of life and uh, it stuck with me all these years and I, I still love it. Where in Pennsylvania did you grow up? Because I grew up uh, in Pennsylvania too. Okay, so uh, Titusville? Okay. Yep. I grew, I grew up in Ben Salem, just outside okay. of uh, Northeast Philly. And then for me, hunting was all up in the Poconos, you know, just outside of Allentown area. Yep. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's funny. It's funny when you say that you're like, I, I grew up in Pennsylvania. Like, yeah, I did too. <laughs> um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. First, first experiences with deer hunting is, you know, first experience with rabbit hunting, all that, you know, grouse, we used to have grouse and, you know, you can't find a grouse hardly anymore, but, uh, hey, you come out here out to the West, you go, you'll find yeah. it. Yeah. They're, they're not, they, they don't exist here in Ohio anymore. It's been, well, 10, 10, 15 years since I've seen a grouse here. So what part of Wyoming are you going to go uh, go antelope hunting in? Um, it's way up north, almost into Montana, uh, near Sheridan. Okay. So, well, if you're if you're going to be near Sheridan, you got to stop by the um, the Cody Museum. Got to go through Cody and go through the uh, the Cody Museum. Okay. Um, so, because I'm up here in Montana, I'm actually in Helena. Um, but yeah, if you're in Sheridan, oh, we were just uh, in Montana you, last week. You were? Oh yeah, you were. You were up at Poma, weren't you? Yeah, we were up at the Poma show in Kalispell. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't make it to Poma this year, and it's sad because that conference was three hours away from my house. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it. It's funny because it, it's killing me because everybody. Yeah, I, yeah, I met a lot of people at shot, and and it's like, hey, Poma's going to be in Montana. I'm like, I'm going to see if I can swing this, but yeah, money's a little tight this year. Uh, you know, I had it was it was like everything else. You know, skip shot and go to everything else, or go to shot and skip everything else. And I'm like, 
uh, since shot didn't happen the year before, I think I'm going to go do shot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I tell you, you live in a magnificently beautiful part of the country. I was. Yeah, it's, it's, it, 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 it trust me, it, it doesn't suck that the, the thing that sucks about it is, you know, I live here in Helena. Helena is becoming everything that I had moved away from on the East coast. Um, you know, I, when we moved here in 2000, traffic lights went on four-way flash at eight o'clock. That those those days are long gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Kalispell was a, a a very quaint, beautiful little town, and I mean, you stand in downtown Kalispell and you look 360 degrees and you see mountains. Yeah, it's yeah. Well, it's funny as you've only seen a portion of those mountains. Right. Um, the guy at the range told me, he's like, yeah, these are cool. He says, but you got to get 30, 40 miles in there to the Continental Divide. He says, then you're going to be blown away. Yeah, it's um, so the, how we chose Helena was my wife's dream was to be a park ranger in Glacier. And my childhood dream was to be a park ranger in Yellowstone. So Helena's halfway between the two. So we split time between the two parks. And what's really cool about that is, is that, um, like, we go up to, to Yellowstone or up to Glacier, you know, people do the Lake McDonald and they do the going to the Sun Road. They do that whole stuff on the east side of the park. Right. Well, if you go out and you go around the park on the west side, um, you'll find a little town called Polebridge, where the general store is also the mail, the, you know, the your post office and... And you go through that whole east side, you can go all the way up to the Canadian line. Um, there's an old border crossing that's closed. And uh, if, if you're if, if you're going to do that, make sure you do it in a rental car, not your, your personal car. Uh, those roads get a little rough. But you get up into some of the most pristine mountains that are just huge. And then you, you can stand there and you're looking at these mountains you, and you realize, they're actually in Canada because um, you can just see forever. But yeah, that that whole valley up there is beautiful. Um, I mean, you guys were in, in Kalispell. You also have um, Whitefish up there where the ski slope is. Um, that's a cool town. But yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a it's a gorgeous area. I, I, and uh, you know, I love I love it here in Helena because it was small, not anymore. Um, but yeah, gosh, I. I really wish, really wish I could have made the poma because we would have talked face to face last week. Yeah. Well, I'll be in Vegas this year, so if you're coming back to shop, we'll have to hook up I will and maybe be, do dinner or something. Yeah, I will definitely be at uh, at shot for uh, 2023. It's uh, it's already it's it's budgeting for it has already started. Yeah. yeah. So, now. Your primary distribution method is through dealers, but people can buy directly from Bowden Tactical as well, correct? They can. We have a uh, business to consumer site. It's called BYOAR.com, and it stands for Build Your Own AR. So it's BYOAR.com. And that is our business to consumer site where if you want to buy a handguard or a grip or a whatever, you can buy. Uh, direct from us at that site. Um, we do have BowdenTactical.com, which is geared more towards our business-to-business -business stuff. And if you end okay. up on BowdenTactical.com, 
there is a place where, hey, you know, if you're looking, if you're just a, a buyer and you want to buy something, you know, we redirect you back over to BYOAR.com. And the beautiful thing about BYOAR.com for me is um, we, yes, we have parts for sale, but when you come into our website, the first thing you don't get hit in the face with buy, buy, buy. You get hit in the face with information. Here, this is, you know, are you looking to build your own AR? Are you looking to buy an AR? These are the things maybe you need to know. Uh, you know, safety, gun safety, uh, personal protective equipment, uh, first aid, uh, range protocol, uh, how to, you know, the tools that you need to, uh, right. So there, you know, you, as you scroll down, um, you know, we tell you, you don't have to be an expert to build your own AR. And we, we believe that. And with a little bit of help, you know, it becomes very easy. Um, you know, where, where are you on your AR evolution? You know, and then there's the different levels. Level one is, hey, I, I bought an AR. I need to know a little information about it. And so you click into that and then there's blogs and there's uh, videos. Level two is how to maintain your AR, how to clean it. Level three is upgrading your AR. Uh, level four is building your AR. And then level five is, hey, I'm ready to build a 308. I'm ready to build a 6.5 Brendel. I'm ready to build a nine millimeter. I'm ready to build, build, build. You know, so, and, you know, and you really don't get sold to by our website until you get down much further and even into these upper levels. You know, we, we're more geared towards uh, education and information and uh, we hope that by offering you that stuff for free, that you're going to develop a trust and a friendship with us. And then when you're ready, you're going to buy those parts from us. See, that's awesome. Because, yeah, this is not high pressure. This is almost like a blog site. And it's like, when you're done reading, here you go. Right. Buy the there you, you, you finally got down to the end. And, hey, you know, by the way, you can buy stuff. Yeah. Yeah, right now. Just about to the end is the shop now. Yep. Yeah, this is a really, this is a really good site. I, I love how this is, how this is, this flows. Um, there's your parts. It's just easy. It's easy to navigate through. And then, the one thing I I like about it is um, when you were talking about this, where are you? Because people are. You know, there there are people who like that I talk to like, oh, I want to build my my AR. I'm like, hey, that's great. Have you even owned one before? No. You might want to buy your first AR. <laughs> like, right. But I want to I want to trick it out. I'm like, that's awesome. Buy your AR, and then upgrade it as time goes on, because trust me, if you haven't built an AR, it can get expensive quick. So, right. you know. Buy your first AR. Yeah, I like this. Maintain it. Do your upgrade. And then what ends up happening is after your upgrade, you have a bunch of parts left over. Right. Build build it, you know, now build an AR with all the parts you got left over. And then go through the, the iteration again. And yeah, build a bunch of ARs. <laughs> um this is this is a I, I really like this site. This is this is really cool, and I love this. You don't have to be an expert to build your AR because that's the coolest thing about an AR is you're not you're not overly worried about headspace issues, um, you know, things that you would with a 
traditional rifle. Right. You just don't have the, those type of issues with an AR, and they're really not hard to build once you they understand the principles of them. Yep. Now, they're very, uh, when you actually get into it, they are very um, simple weapons. You know, they're a very simple rifle. Uh, yeah, they operate very simply. And, you know, uh, I was kind of intimidated years ago when I built my first one, watching yep. a bunch of YouTube too. videos, watching a bunch, you know, and can I do this? Can I, you know, and when I got all done and I took it out and I pulled the trigger and it went bang and it cycled and it went bang again, I was like, wow. You know, there was just something so satisfying and gratifying about doing that. And then, you know, years later, I, I built my own 350 Legend. And when I harvested my first deer with it, that was beyond satisfying. That's cool. Beyond gratifying. Yeah. You know, taking a, a rifle that you built you customize and made your own and then taking it out and harvesting an animal and putting food on the table with that. It, it's, it's beyond satisfying. Yeah. And that's the whole thing is, you know, when, when people, people think ARs, they think to, to you know, traditionally one caliber, right? The two, two, three or five, five, uh, five, five, six. Oh, there's, um, there's they don't. Calibers. And then when you, then when you, then when you go, forward and they start learning about 308 you, know, you start learning about the whole ar10 platform and then you sit there and look at how many calibers you can build ars in it's mind-boggling uh it when is, i was in F when i was in ffl one of my customers was in the national guard he you know he retired from the guard and he went out to go build an ar at every caliber you could build an ar in and he ran out of money long before he ran out of calories. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure he did. Yeah. So, cool. Well, I will have all the links to your stuff in the notes down below. So anybody who's looking for these parts, you can just go check out in the uh, description. I'll have the links. I'll have, you know, you have an Instagram account out there as well. We'll get all of your social medias out there. And as we're wrapping up here, we've been going almost an hour and a half here. Uh, I want to finish off with a speed round. And it's real, it's a real easy game. It's just, I give you a choice. You just tell me what your choice would be. Okay. Sounds fun. So buy an AR or build an AR? Um, where I'm at with, uh, where I'm at now in my life with the AR world, I would definitely build. Okay. 308. Or six five Creed more. I have not shot the six five Creed more. I, I take that back. I have shot one. Um, I'm That's much a tough more, one, isn't it? It, uh, it was, and it, it was a tack driver. My buddy Bill, yeah. he bought one. You know, uh, he bought a bolt action six five, and it was a tack driver. I'm telling you, I mean, just I, I. I I got done with it and I was like, am I hit? Am I missing? What am I doing? And I was literally putting the bullet in the Stack same hole every time. They're stacking the bullets right in. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I probably have to try that six, five. Okay. So I know the answer to this one, but I'm going to ask it anyway. M lock or key mod. Oh, M lock. <laughs> Cerakote or anodized. Cerakote. Everybody has a black gun, and uh, I just love the styles and the things you can do with Cerakote and the, the, just the cool stuff. 
you know, I definitely Cerakote. Yeah, when I was when I was in FFL, uh, I was Cerakoting guns, and you just get it, you you can do so many things with Cerakote because even even if they have a color, you can sit there and look go, well, what if I mix a little bit of this into it? You know, you take another color, just make, and you have a completely custom color yourself. Right. Um, and then just the things you can do with it are amazing. Yeah. You know, the, the American flag stuff and yeah, uh, just battle worn. The possibilities yeah. are endless with Cerakote. It is. Iron sights or red dot? Red dot. Okay. So thinking about building your uppers. The actual, uh, I don't want to say jig, but the actual fixture, the clamshell that goes around the upper or an action rod or lug lock? The rod. Yeah. I I recently been a, con a, con a convert of that rod. That thing is so great. Yeah. I love just locking right into the lugs and everything just is right there. Right. There's no play. You don't have to, you're not worried about anything. You know, you're not going to destroy anything. Yeah, yeah, because that was my whole worry about the clamshells. Like, I know that it's plastic, but what if I just put a little too much torque on it? You know, when I'm clamping it down, yeah, it's all it's always worried me just a little bit. But yeah, those those rods are amazing. They're rock solid. And then the last question, and it's kind of a situation question. You have one really big table in front of you. You have one lower from every AR manufacturer that has ever produced a lower. Which lower do you grab first? Mm -hmm. Wow. That's a tough choice. Do you go style or do you go function? Yeah. Man, you know, if I'm going function, I'm going to grab an Anderson. Okay. Uh, you know, for the price and the, uh, you know, I know they get a bad rap. I know, you know, they, they get beat up on all the time. I've never had an issue with one. I've never had, had one either. I've never I had an issue. You know, I, and I know everybody, oh, my uncles, brothers, cousins, you know, had a, I've just never had an issue with one. And they're, and they're made just south of you, too. Yeah, they are. They're in Kentucky. And if I'm going style, I love Jason's stuff at Iron City Rifle Works. Yeah. Just cool <laughs> He's got some amazing stuff. Yeah, it's just yeah. cool And it's good quality stuff. Awesome. Well, it's been great having you on, Jim. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day and just to join me here. And uh, I know that you know, you're in the studio there. Talk a little bit about what you do in the studio. So uh, this is kind of a multi-purpose studio. Um, we have two of them here, actually. This one, usually we do more of the manufacturing stuff up here. Um, we have a studio downstairs where I do um, my Facebook Live shows on Tuesday. I have a T350 show at 350 on Tuesday. I do some instructional videos and some how-tos and some installs and that kind of stuff down there. Um, this obviously is, uh, you know, a pretty scenic view up here. And uh, when we're doing Zoom calls with different customers, 
they think it's really cool to be able to see the machine yeah. shop in the background. Yeah, that's, you know, that's the whole thing is when you jumped on with me earlier, I'm looking at that just like, I'm going to have such a hard time focusing on you because I'm going I'm to be looking at everything behind you while we're talking. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the first and, time we used it, um, one of the, we were on a call and the guy says, all of a sudden he stopped and he's like, that's real. He said, I thought that was some kind of green screen thing you've got back there. There's people walking around back there. It's like, yeah, that's real. That's real time shop floor right now. That's where that's what I like to say is that studio there is your home court advantage. Yeah. So, Jim, thanks again so much for for joining me. And uh, I will have all the links down below for everybody in the audience, whether you're on the audio side or the video side. You'll have the links to uh, to go check out all these products and uh, and their social media. Thank you. Appreciate it. It It's great being here. Had a great time. Great. I had a great time as well. For those of you on the audio side, I'm really sorry you couldn't see the backdrop of Jim's studio there because it's on a second floor and it's on an industrial second floor. So it's, you're, you know, you're talking taller than your typical eight or 10 feet ceiling. And you could see the manufacturing going on behind him. Every once in a while, you could see someone walking around. And I talked to Jim for a little while after the podcast and you know he was explaining how the shift's running and they're running two shifts. So buying from Bowden Tactical, you are supporting U.S. jobs. Not only manufacturing jobs, but like he said, he, they're doing the design work there. It's really, really cool that Bowden is competing against overseas manufacturing. Right in Ohio. Definitely, definitely go check out Bowden Tactical. I'll have all their links down in the description below. Go see what they've got because buying from them means that you're supporting U.S. jobs and you're buying a quality product. Thanks for listening. Hope you're staying safe out there and look forward to talking to you again soon.